Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 100th episode of the Open Pantry Podcast. I'm your host as always, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is a really, obviously, special moment for me in this podcast, and I think you're really going to enjoy the next guest, David Christie from Baker's Delight, going a bit full circle here because that's where I started my career at the age of 16. We talk about everything uh, about the brand that is growing, that is going from strength to strength with nearly 700 sites in four countries in the world. I think you're going to really enjoy this. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the 100th episode. Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. It's fantastic to have you listening on. It is pretty symbolic of this 100th podcast that I go back in time to my first entry into the hospitality scene in 1997 by a little brand that you might know called Bakes Delight. Bakes Delight is the largest Australian-owned franchise bakery chain with over 600 locations in four different countries, including obviously Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and the US, established in 1980 from its first site, which is still there on Glenfrey Road in Hawthorne, celebrating its 40th year in operation. It's fantastic to have the co-CEO, David Christie on the line. Hey, David, how are you? Great, Sean. Uh, thanks very much for having us and uh, very pleased to be here after 40 years. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, especially in a, in, a, in a franchise game, which is very competitive, it, it only shows how incredible and amazing the brand is. And it was 11 years of my life, which is very important. So it's awesome to have you on. Um, let's talk about how you started out in your career and then sort of came into Baker's Delight because I think that'll be a really interesting story for listeners. Yeah, so um, as you can probably tell from my accent, I didn't grow up in Australia. <laughs> I was born in Zimbabwe, raised in South Africa um, and grew up in Johannesburg and then went to university in Cape Town. And um, while I was at university, um, I needed money, uh, as we all do, um, <laughs> but I particularly needed money to come and visit my girlfriend at the time, who I'd, I'd met and uh, was in Australia, and so I'd met her in England, and um, oh. she was in Australia, so I spent most of my university years working to come and travel to Australia, um, and I worked in restaurants throughout those three years. Um, I studied literature and history at university, but but what I always say is my real education was actually in the restaurants. Um, and it, it's, uh, I didn't think it would lead to a career, but that's exactly what happened. So post uni, uh, Elise and I met up in North America. Mm -hmm. And that was always the plan to do a bit of travel and see the world. Um, but at that point, Baker's Delight had just started expanding into Canada. Um, we took what we thought was going to be a six month uh, break to, to work in the stores um, and uh, build up some, some more money to keep on traveling. And that six months turned into an entire career. And uh, well, it's been about 15 years. Uh, I spent nine of those years in the, the business in Canada. Um, Elise and I were opening up stores. We were, you know, started at the, the very base level, um, uh, learning to bake, learning to serve customers. And um, within a, a about six to 12 months, we were opening up new stores in different parts of the country. And we did that for five years, went all over Canada and into the US also. And um, 
pretty much every day was in our baking whites, um, hiring teams, training teams, building the bakeries. Um, and it was a huge amount of fun, a lot of work, but uh, what, what a great experience for a 20 year old. You know, we set out to travel the world and we got that opportunity and we mm. learned a lot about business. Um, so yeah, after a few years of doing that, we moved back to Vancouver and um, ended up running the business over in North America. So that's, that was four of us. So my wife, Elise, and myself, um, Elise's brother, Aaron. So Baker Slide is a family business, very much so. Um, and then another colleague, John Gilson. So it's a bit of a strange structure, but it worked for us at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did that for a few years. And then it uh, was time to move back to Australia. And um, that's when we, we moved back to the bigger business here and took on executive roles. And then just in the last three years, we've taken over as CEO. So long journey, um, but it's been phenomenal. It's been a, a lot of fun. What did, you, what did you think when you first started to learn how to bake bread? Like, was it a, was it, because when I first started, because I wanted to be a chef, right? When I was 16, 15, 16, and then I sort of fell into a Bakes Delight career. Yeah. Um, and so I had this romance around what bread was and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, did you, was it what you thought it was going to be when you jumped into it? I remember my biggest feeling when thinking about learning to bake was fear of the ovens. Uh, <laughs> I, I spent six to 12 months uh, out the front of the store selling bread. Um, and just, I loved the business. I loved the, the smell. I loved how easy it was to sell the product. Um, but there was that fear of, of the ovens. Um, and yeah, so I remember I was trying to get, get over that and you get over it pretty quickly with a, with a couple of scars. Um, Absolutely. But it's, it's, you know, having worked in restaurants, the, the pace was, was, I was used to that. So um, certainly the pace in a bakery is very similar. You've got to move quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's physical, yeah, nothing that I, I wasn't expecting, but, but probably what I didn't expect um, was how much fun it would be and how rewarding it would be. Um, just, you know, the, the fact that you can, come in to an empty shop at sometimes two o'clock in the morning, so early, mm. uh, but come in with, with nothing except the raw ingredients and leave at the end of a baking shift and you've produced an entire shop's worth of bread from scratch. Um, that's a, an incredible sense of achievement and it's hard to replicate that in other jobs. There's very few other yeah. jobs you do where you get to literally start every day from scratch and end up with this amazing result. Um, and it's unforgiving, you know, if you, one baker doesn't show up, I mean, you would remember this from running mm. stores. Um, everyone's, everyone's got a pretty critical role to play. And if somebody doesn't show up or somebody doesn't pull their weight, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough gig for everybody else. Yeah, I've, um, I've been on the end of many, um, many baking shifts, which should have been me and someone else that just became me. Yeah. And um, yeah, and a lot, you know, a shorter day turned into a longer day, but um but you learn so much through those, you know, through those harder shifts. Yeah. Um, and it's always that baking, um, it's, it's part science, part art, but it's also a lot of hard work. And I think that's, that's the bit that um, people can romanticize and uh, not realize that, um, you know, if you think about artisan bakery and baking, it all looks very flowery and, uh, and, and, um, you know, it looks quite, quite uh, soft and easy but mm. it's it's physical you're lifting 
heavy bags, you're, uh, you're moving constantly, you're on your feet for the, the whole shift. Mm. Um, but it's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I can't think of another, I can't think of another type of business, especially in franchise land that you literally start with nothing every day. You, you build to a product and then you actually sell that product in the same day. Like there's not, there's not many that have that whole component, which I think makes Bakes the Light so synonymous with, you know, quality and experience. It, it, yeah, it is interesting. And it's, um, it's, it's quite complex. I mean, there's not any retail models where you're a production facility also. And it's, it's very decentralized. So, you know, one of the first questions we always get when people look at the business is, well, why don't you centralize the baking and then send the product out to the stores? Um, and a lot of businesses have got, gone down that, that model and it probably works for them. Um, but it's not us. It's uh, you, you lose that freshness, you lose that quality, you lose that connection with the product. Um, and the other thing we found with decentralization is you can actually tailor it to your local community a lot better. Um, and it really worked for us through COVID was just that ability to adapt and adjust, not just on a daily basis in every location, but almost on an hourly basis, you know, as uh, production, well, demand just spiked and went through the roof. Uh, bakeries were able to adjust really quickly. Yeah, which I definitely want to, I definitely want to touch on in a minute. Um, but I want to go back a bit and, and, like this is obviously the 40th year in operation. It's, it's an amazing success story, um, especially in this year. How did, how did Bakes Delight get to that point that it, that it became so successful? Like how did it evolve to those four countries and so many outlets? Yeah, I'd love to say there was a grand plan when we, when we started <laughs> 40 years ago, um, but it's really just been a, an evolution. Um, so Elise's parents, Roger and Leslie Gillespie, started the business in, in Hawthorne um, 40 years ago, to, almost today. And their plan wasn't to have a network of, you know, six, 700 stores. It was really just to open a great bakery. Um, mm. Baking had been in Roger's family for four or five generations. Um, and they, they opened up the shop. It did incredibly well. Um, and they opened up another one that did pretty well. They got to 20 um, and then actually somebody gave them some advice and that advice was there's no future for your business in Australia. If you really want to grow this model, you need to go to the US. So mm. they actually left the, the 20 stores in the hands of, of managers and moved over with a young family to San Francisco back. That would have been I don't know, somewhere in the 80s. Mm. Uh, opened up a few shops. It didn't work. But what they did discover over in the US was franchising as a model. And they brought that back to their 20 businesses um, and gave the managers the opportunity to, to buy in, to, to become owners. Mm -hmm. And the rest is history. What they found almost overnight was the, the sales jumped right up, but the profitability doubled almost overnight because that's skin in the game. And it's been one of the mantras for the business ever since is um, just shared success. It's, it's a lesson that Roger and Leslie learned back then was when you share in that success, um, you become more successful because your business can, can really grow exponentially. So it uh, took off through Australia through the, the, the late 90s, early 2000s, and then... Mm. International expansion, you know, New, New Zealand was a, a natural extension to Australia. And um, Canada came about through just looking at the different markets out there and the, the conditions and mm -hmm. access to good wheat, sort of one of the prerequisites for us. 
Um, and Canada just looked like a pretty good place to expand the business to. And again, love to say we went over there and had this great growth trajectory that was nice and stable, but it's, uh, it's, been, it's been a lot of hard lessons um, tailoring the business to the Canadian market. Mm-hmm. We've learned the hard way, we've, um, but we've adjusted really well over there and the, the business is in a great spot. I think we've got 125 in Canada. And yeah, plans are just to keep steadily opening. Mm. Do you think one of the benefits of Bakesalite and the structure over the years is because it has remained a family business? And I mean, because it, it is very, very different to any other, any other franchise in the marketplace, especially in the Australian marketplace that it is, you know, Roger and Leslie, like I knew for a long period of time in my career with Bakesalite. And, and that was always a synergy that I really looked to it was, always, it was always a structure I looked to with fondness and I knew that I could talk to them, which is very, I think, very unusual for any other franchise in Australia. Like, do you think that's part of the reason why it grew, just the basis of trust? Maybe. Um, you know, and I've thought about this question a, a fair bit over the years. You know, what would our business be like if private equity had bought it mm. or if mm-hmm. we um, if we listed publicly, um, and it's it's almost impossible to tell. I think we've seen yeah. and bad examples of both. You know, there, there are plenty of great listed franchise businesses that do a phenomenal job. Mm. Um, then there's some some horror stories also. So I think a lot of it just comes down to, to culture and and management. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I I would say though is you know, it's impossible to tell whether we'd be bigger, more successful, but we'd be different. It would definitely feel different. And that point you just touched on, which was you felt like you could get in touch with the owners and have a conversation with them. Um, we still like to feel that way today. Um, mm. And and uh, while don't certainly don't have all franchisees calling me all the time, um, they, they can, you know, the, it's not like the, the, the number's not listed. They, they can pick mm. up the phone and call anyone uh, and call Lisa and I directly or call the founders. Some of them still do. <laughs> um, and that's important to us. It doesn't matter the size of, of the business. You should still be able to talk to your business partners um, whenever they want to speak to you. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So let's... Uh, one thing that, that probably has worked in our favor being a um you know a, a family-run business is we we've stuck pretty close to that core of what the business is about just in terms of product range what we do, mm. do what we don't do mm-hmm. there's always temptation to venture off into different lines different categories different areas 100%. Uh, and um they're definitely you know there's there are opportunities there but there's also a lot of risk in in venturing away from that core of what, what makes you great in the first place. Um, and I think that's one of the things we're proud of is we've stuck to that core, but we've innovated within that core range of products and it served us well over the years. Yeah. I think, I think that's where I got my knowledge of around being special for something was more important than being a jack of all trades to everyone. Like if you don't specialize in something, you're just a me too brand. And I remember, you know, even as a franchise partner sitting in heated discussions with other franchise partner and Roger and Leslie or whoever attended from head office about how we should put in pies or how we should, you know, how we should put in coffee or how we should do these different things. Like it took a, I think it took us six months or 12, 12 months of development to finally figure out we were going to put milk in or we were going to put drinks in. Like that was a, that was a big discussion for the brand at that point in the early 2000s. I mean, 
Um, but it but it sort of taught me that you need to specialize in something, otherwise your customer's not going to continue to come back. Which yeah, really yeah, and don't worry, Sean, we still have those debates. <laughs> um, I reckon every six months the, the pie the pie question <laughs> comes up. Um, but but you're right, you've got to be special and got to be good at uh, or very good at 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 what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've also got to keep evolving and innovating within that. So, you know, the, the, the best example for us is, you know, bread, bread really is the core of our business. And for a long time, that good old fashioned white block was the number one selling product. Yeah. Um, but listening to your customers and finding out what the pain points are, that's where the innovation can really come from. And, you know, parents love, well, kids love soft white bread. They love, they love mm-hmm. those sandwiches. Um, but for, for mum, um, the concern is, well, could it be healthier? I want to give them healthier options. And that's where something like a high fiber white we developed. Um, what have we not? I don't know if we would have had it in your time. We'll, yeah, you did. Yeah, it was the last couple of years. So yeah, yeah. yeah. 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. So that, that came in just solving that problem for, for mum. And that's, you know, long since overtaken uh, white, Blocks is our number one selling product. Yeah, well, when it was introduced, it was quite niche. So, mm-hmm. yeah, stick to the core, but innovate within that core. Let's let's talk about COVID times. Let's talk about what one of the biggest challenges for the brand has been. You know, uh, in this time, David, given that you do have shopping center sites, you do have strip sites. They're everywhere. You're a massive brand. Like, what's the kind of what's a couple of things that you guys have had to do in to this time to make it, to keep the relevance of the brand? Yeah, um, look, it's been it's it's been difficult, but um, I have to say at the outset, we've we've been incredibly fortunate as a as a business and as a brand. Um, the nature of the products that we we sell, it's a, it's a staple, um, and fresh fresh grocery has performed really well throughout COVID as people um, go back to basics, eat more at home. Um, unfortunately, can't dine out as as much as they would like to. Um, those are those are trends that have worked in Baker's Light's favour. Mm-hmm. Um, but there've been no shortage of challenges for us as a brand um, through it all. And you know, the early days of of COVID, March, April, it was just daily, you know, trying to absorb the information that was coming in. Um, keep people focused, keep staff safe, um, implement new procedures to to you know socially distance in store and um, in the in in the back of the bakeries mm. um, and then supply chain was a massive challenge for us you know we had yeah. huge peaks through that panic buying period in in late March early early April um, and trying to keep the bakeries supplied with raw ingredients was a massive challenge um, and one that the team handled really really well um, and since then it's been it's it, it's been just different experiences and different markets. So, you know, we're, we're going through something completely differently here in Victoria at the moment compared to the rest of the country. Um, New Zealand, our entire operation was shut down for, for six mm. weeks. Um, and that happened, you know, we were told uh, on Tuesday that we're an essential service and we'd be able to keep trading and then found out on Tuesday night that we'd have to shut the next day. Wow. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's obviously really tough for the franchisees and the employees. Um, mm-hmm. And a, a story that's been repeated in a number of industries across Australia, New Zealand and the world. But, um, you know, for us at the moment, uh, it's, it's just managing those two ends of the spectrum. So we've got most of our network performing really, really well. 
Um, and then we've got CBD locations and major shopping centers that are struggling. So providing the franchisees with support, um, trying to forecast what the, the return to, to some form of normal looks like. Um, mm. And in the meantime, uh, managing the team all working remotely. Well, obviously, you know, you and Elisa managing a massive, a massive team here in, uh, here in Australia, and you've got different restrictions in different states. Like, how have you both been able to sort of manage the core, you know, head office team, but also make sure that you're telling your franchise partners the correct things in different states? Like, has that been, has that been really challenging during this time? Um, easier than, than we probably thought it was going to be at the outset. Um, you know, we'd, we'd done a lot of work getting ready to work from home anyway. Before COVID, we were due to shut our office for a refurbishment right. um, post-Easter. So we'd, we'd got everyone ready, um, got all the equipment ready for work from home. Mm -hmm. um, and so we just basically pulled the trigger on that a couple of, couple of weeks earlier than we otherwise would have been planning. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the communication tools are amazing and we were underutilizing them prior to COVID and that's been one of the biggest learnings for us is how little travel you actually need to do to run a business this size. You know, we're all guilty of, of running around, um, not like headless chooks, but, but you know, traveling more than we needed to. Sure. Uh, I actually feel more connected to our franchise network now um, than, than when we were able to travel because we just set up regular Zoom calls with the, the entire network. We jump on the area managers once, which they do quite regularly. We can actually speak to people face-to-face -face in different parts of the country on any given day. Um, and the same with our, our team. Um, but having said that, I'm looking forward to, at some point, getting out and seeing our stores again. Um, and definitely looking forward to getting into our brand new office, which is there ready waiting for us. Uh, <laughs> the green light for us to be able to move back in. Yeah, for sure. Do you think, do you think this is going to change how, you, how the office team works over the long term, David? Yeah. Do you think, so do you think there'll be certain amounts of times you will be in the office and then prescribed times you won't be in the office or, yeah. or working from home? Um, I, I think what, what we've learned is the the limitations and the, the upside of work from home. So, so you know, it's, it's definitely been a lot better and a lot easier and there are a lot of benefits that we mm. wouldn't have foreseen before. So you think about the amount of time people waste, you know, commuting in and out of office during peak hour, um, how much easier it is for working parents to be able to drop their kids off, look after their kids um, if they've got that flexibility. So we're gonna maintain mm. a lot of that. We're certainly not a business that mandates that people need to be in at a certain time and leave at a certain time. Um, and our flexibility with that's going to be even greater than it was before. So you know, the mantra is be, be there when you need to be there. And yeah, when sure. you need to be there is from my point of view, it's, it's, it's when you're collaborating, that's the bit that I miss over zoom. So, you know, you can't, there are some limitations there. There are things that you can't do, um, when you've got 10 people on a, a group call that you can when you've got 10 people in a room. Um, it's just a, it's a different dynamic. And uh, if there is a way of replicating that digitally, we haven't worked it out yet. Um, and um, I, I'm looking forward to getting that back. But flexibility is going to be, going to be a, a huge part of the way we do business moving forward. Um, and likewise, you know, even with our support teams, um, 
they're very mobile, they're all over the country, and they've been able to do a phenomenal job of supporting the franchisees without being there physically in the store. So we've mm. you know, maintained a lot of those practices after COVID. How have you done, um, just thought of it now, like how have you done product development during this time? Because you guys aren't together. Like I remember how that would be, you know, doing product development and everyone sort of chiming in on their opinion and bakeries testing stuff. And like, yeah. how have you done that during this time? Um, we've put a lot of product development on hold in the early stages because mm-hmm. what, we, what we worked out was customers weren't looking for new, they were looking for um, relevance and, and things that would solve the problem for them. So, you know, just the sim- simplicity of eating from home, we had products in our range that um, we could just pull out and elevate. Um, so something as simple as pizza bases, you know, mm. quarter of our stores made those. Um, and we identified pretty early on that, that you know, that eat from home was going to be a, a, a big trend and that um, parents in particular were looking for stuff to do with their kids that was easy, but still a bit of a sense of achievement. So mm. giving them a pizza base and the, the ingredients to make their own um, rather than just buying one of our pizzas um, mm. was, was a great solution. Required no product development, just um, elevate a product that we already had. So... Um, yeah, first few months was more about getting the right bits of the range into the right places. Um, since then, the test bakeries, you know, fired up again. So our um, production team in the test bakery are, are in there on most days. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they, they'll, 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 they did a delivery two days ago. So they'll, they'll test bake their products, um, deliver to, to the executives that are involved in that product development process and um, then we jump on zoom and we we eat as a group (laughs) (laughs) that's really cool (laughs) Um, do you think do you think this is going to change certain store on store sales for long period time the reason I ask is if you know we just talked about you guys you know potentially working from home more Um, if everyone does that and all of a sudden five days a week that would have been spent in the city is two days or three days a week in the city, do you think the, the um, change in that is the outer suburban bakes the light stores will all of a sudden, um, you know, get some more volume because their client, their customer base is more around their store? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, and how long that, that lasts, um, that's anyone's question. Mm. But, but I do think there'll be, some, there'll be some sort of short, medium and then long-term changes to the way people behave and um, I'd be surprised if most businesses aren't thinking the same way we are just in terms of flexibility when people need to be in the office when they don't need to be in the office and I know a lot are looking at their office space and um, and uh, quite critically and looking at downsizing it so so I think there'll be some permanent shifts there um, you know definitely what we're seeing across the country as um, as different states go through, you know, ease out of restrictions, is um, they maintain a lot of the behaviours. So, you know, WA um, sales are still really, really good for us there, mm. even mm. though it's it's um, it's almost uh, you know, back to normal. Well, yeah, fr- from a Melbourne perspective, it looks very normal. Yes, but the changes of behaviour have stuck, and I know in hospitality and you know places like Sydney, it's still a struggle. People are. Uh, even without the um, the strictness of res- restrictions, um, people are moderating their behaviour. They're going out less. They're eating more at home. So you know, 
it's impossible to predict what five, 10 years is going to look like, but the next 12 months at least, we're, um, we're expecting a lot of that behavior to, to stick. Yeah. Um, do you think there's ever been a better time to start a bakery? And the reason why, the reason why I ask is I've never not like when, when I had bakeries, all we could, you know, all you'd hear about is low carb and, and gluten-free and, and all that kind of stuff has been, you know, things that were sort of starting to come through the market. But now, like I've never seen so many, you know, this growth in bakeries across the board, you know, happen with things like sourdough and, and, and all that kind of stuff come yeah. through. Like, can you think of a better renaissance kind of time for bakeries at the moment, though? Oh, it's a pretty good time. Um, look, it, it is a good time for the, the industry and, and for our business. Um, I think, um, I mean, what we see, though, the, the market's been... The bread market in Australia has been been pretty flat for you know it's slight growth for the last few years, mm. um, and while there's been you know a lot of artisan players coming into the market, they're, they're such a tiny part of the overall market, yeah, and cool. almost it's it's quite trend based. One comes in, one goes out. They don't actually mm. shift the market share. Mm-hmm. Um, the story really is about what the supermarkets are doing. Um, mm-hmm. You know that's that's the big player in the in the well in all fresh food, but. Yes. Uh, and we've obviously we've we've got some pretty big players in there um, with decent amount of resources, and um, they've been duking it up uh, over the last few years. And um, you know, a lot of downward pressure on prices that started to shift as wheat prices have gone up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it's it's still it's it's a it's a great business to be in, um, and it's shown its resilience through recessions, through pandemics, through um, you know generations and generations, uh, which is why we're we're pretty confident about the future. Yeah. So let's talk about the future because this is the fortieth year, as we said at the start of this podcast. Like, what what are you guys planning for the celebrations of the fortieth year? You know. Well, we're actually this weekend, we were going to be um, having a big international conference um, in the Gold Coast, which is mm-hmm. obviously not happening. So <laughs> the plans have shifted somewhat. Um, you know, we, we, we wanted to go ahead with the, the campaign that we're, we're doing at the moment, which is just a joyful celebration of, of the business and the brand. Mm. Um, and we, we actually, we debated whether we should do it at this time. Um, and we made the decision to, to go ahead because we do think, you know, people need a bit of joy. And um, we certainly, you know, f- feel that way working at home. We look, we, we're looking for things to, to give us hope and to bring a bit of joy into our lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're sick of looking at the daily numbers and sick of the daily um, arguments about how we should exit or, or mm. restrictions. There's, there's so much of that going on. 100%. Um, so we, we are, you know, we're, we're going ahead with the celebrations and, um, and we'll, we'll continue that over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we shifted our, our conference. It's not happening at the Gold Coast. It's going to happen via Zoom. We've got a couple of guest speakers joining us. We're doing it slightly differently to the regular calls we do with the franchisees. Um, mm-hmm. But, but um, yeah, we, we'll, we've got gifts that we're sending out to, to all of them. We, we did a 40-year history of the business um, with a lot of their involvement, the franchisees' involvement. So we'll send them out those books. Mm. Um, and then try and get back into our office and, uh, you know, get a socially distanced group of however many people we're allowed at some point in the next couple of weeks or months and uh, have, a, have a glass of wine or two. Yeah, I think it'll be um, a very important time. I saw the ad um, that's on the website yesterday and that was um, 
that was a bit of fun. So yeah. I, I think everyone should definitely have a look at that. Um, last question too, before I let you go, as I've been asking every guest before I let them go, David, what is, what is one thing that you could have done pre pandemic that you can't do now that you're looking forward to getting back to? Um, okay. So look, probably the biggest thing is having my kids be able to interact with other kids. Um, and that's, 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 you know, for so many working parents or parents in general, um, this has been difficult. I mean, it's been difficult yeah. for everyone, um, but, but seeing your kids um, locked up without that interaction, particularly, you know, at critical ages, so I was a four and six, um, I can't wait for them to be able to see their friends again. That's, um, that's something I miss as a parent. Um, and it's also, it's also something that, um, you know, just frees up our time too. So if your kids are entertained and uh, engaged, then it's just amazing what, what else you can get up to. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to dining out again. So, you know, uh, with kids four and six, we don't do it nearly as much as we used to, but mm -hmm. um, Lisa and I had a nice routine pre COVID where um, we'd go, go and go for, you know, do some exercise, go for a run or, or uh, go for a swim at the local pool. Um, and then we'd go to a restaurant afterwards once a week, try and do that. Um, cool. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to those and um, travel, you know, seeing the family in South Africa at some point, all yeah. those things. There's so many, um, but yeah, if I could bring, bring back to the one thing that I, I really want to see um, is just kids out there speaking to other kids and interacting as they should be. That's, that's, um, that's tough. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Um, hopefully we're on the road out that that can happen again soon, David. So I hope it does. Um, what's the, what's the best way that people can find out about Bakes Delight celebrations or, or maybe being a Bakes Delight franchise partner? Um, look, I think the best thing always, most people have got a store fairly close to them. Um, you know, if you want to find out more about the business, go and speak to the, the, the staff and speak to the franchisees. Um, you can go on the website and read what we've got to say, but uh, the best people to talk to are people are actually doing it every day. And um, yeah, buy some bread while you're there. <laughs> David Christie, thanks so much for being part of the, uh, the 100th podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, great to talk, Sean. Cheers. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode, the 100th episode of the Open Pantry Podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it. As always, I want to thank everyone who's been listening for this period of time. If you're new or if you've been listening since episode one, I can't thank you enough. I have reached out to all the guests who have been on the show this week and it's been fantastic to connect with them and just say thank you. So please keep listening. Please make sure you leave a comment or a suggestion or just you know, subscribe and follow. That'd be really, really important. Here's to another 100 episodes. Take care.